2: Yes it is I, wavy gravy, hippie icon, flower geezer, and temple of accumulated error, on your eyes, in your ears, and in your face. History is a list of surprises. I just had a haircut by Johanna. When she was Bonnie Jean, she cut Bob Dylan's hair. And he wrote a song about it. What song? Don't let Bonnie cut my hair <laughs> or, or a tune to that effect. You have to talk to her about it. In fact, she'd probably be mad at me for saying anything. But anyhow, it's it's true. And she did a great job on me. I think I look quite uh, quite smashing for eighty-five.
3: Bobby, why you cut my hair? Bobby, why'd you cut my hair? Bobby, why you, you cut my hair? Now I can't go nowhere.
1: both with us one of the first questions i have here is tell me about your wedding and honeymoon
2: oh my god
4: <laughs> ja,
2: ja, help because uh yeah wait where do we get married we got married in a fever where do we get married
4: we got married a couple of times Yeah? We didn't get divorced in between. No?
1: That's Wavy and his wife, Jahanara, formerly Hugh and Bonnie Jean, chatting remotely with me from their home at the Hog Farm Commune in Berkeley, California.
4: We got married the first time on Thanksgiving. Yes, gobble, gobble.
2: I wanted to do that because whenever I heard people go, gobble, gobble, I knew it was an anniversary.
4: So we went to Las Vegas and went to a little uh, pretend little church. Yeah, like a, on, like, on a, a strip. like a like yeah. a little
2: colonial chapel on the Strip in Las Vegas. It
4: wasn't really a chapel; it was a place to get married. It looked like one though. Yeah, but it did. Little Chapel of the West, or something like that. Yeah. But then we got married again. We, he had been married before. It was not a happy marriage. The true deal was that we were not sure. We knew that that she had gotten a divorce, but we did not know when it was finalized. So we got married two different times because we just weren't sure.
2: Covered our bets, and besides that, we had it down.
4: So we always uh, celebrate our anniversary irregardless of the date. In Thanksgiving. We do it on Thanksgiving. The other time, you know, I don't even remember the other time we got married. No, whoosh what was that about we're
2: old it's, we've been married oh f- 50, 50 years
4: 54 54 years we just want to actually be sure that our marriage was legal so we it. <laughs> we doing
2: did it several times
1: what did you wear and tell me about your cake and oh
2: honey. my god what do you remember
4: yes my father uh, was really relieved that we were going to go elope in oh my- las vegas because he He was uh, excited to not have to pay for an expensive wedding and so uh, he gave me $100 to to buy a a little suit so that I could dress up for the wedding. And I wore
2: a suit and a tie and I looked, we dressed, I was normal.
1: We dressed normal.
2: (laughs) Normal people.
1: Yeah. Welcome to American Prankster, the rivetingly incredible, historically fascinating life story of Wavy Gravy, original Beatnik, hippie icon, comedy pioneer, and pioneering activist who uses humor as a weapon.
4: Yeah, we went to Las Vegas once, and then we went once to the Zen monastery. Yeah, and we're we're married by a
2: Zen monk.
4: Yeah, that's what it is. That's
2: ones. our second time by yeah. a Zen monk. Yes. Oh. Um...
4: After the um, marriage in the Zen temple. We had a wedding party at the
2: hog farm, the actual farm with hogs. Yes, and an actual shower dressed to bathe, yeah. it said in, this, in the invitation. And then uh, everybody jumped in a giant tank, which was filled with water and then covered with little yellow flowers and jaws being summoned Hi. by higher powers. That was good, because we covered the whole inside of the tank with little teeny-weeny yellow, like buttercups. So it was like you were swimming in a sea of buttercups.
5: I am
4: called little buttercup, dear little
1: buttercup, for I could never tell why.
2: Actual shower dress to bathe is what it said in the invitation. What kind of bathing
1: suit did you wear?
2: Hmm. (laughs) Fifty-four years ago, I have no idea what I could have worn a thong or a, from the knees, uh, striped, yeah, yeah, maybe I still have it in a drawer here. It's striped, and it goes all the way down to my knees, and then it has straps up here, so it's a, a, a bathing costume.
1: I'm familiar with the outfit Wavy refers to as I once found myself floating in a Burning Man swimming pool with him, so beclad. P.S. Burning Man is an art and culture festival in the Nevada desert, undoubtedly influenced by Wavy and his chum's status quo challenging hijinks we're about to get into.
2: It started many, many uh, moons ago, and perhaps uh, Saturn and Uranus. We ran a, a pig for president.
1: I'm producer Rainbow Valentine, and in this chapter, episode 6, we get into the conversion of American de- From beatnik to hippie.
2: Everybody on the mountaintop had different jobs, like a bunch of us were working at a gas station or a restaurant or were mechanics. And on Christmas Day, the mechanics in our expanded family. Gave the family a bus.
1: We'll get into the evolution of Wavy's Hog Farm Commune.
2: We all focused on this bus.
1: And their satirical explosion onto the national political stage. Wanted to know how you met Abby Hoffman, if you met him at the gas Oh gaslight? my god, I'm not sure. He was a
2: yippie. They were also involved in running the pig for president, and we jointly brought the pig to the fore. She was the first female black-and-white candidate for that high office.
1: (laughs) But before we get into Pegasus, back to Wavy and Jaws' weddings in 1966, which set the foundation for their burgeoning communal family, the Hog Farm Commune. Did you honeymoon? In uh, Disneyland, yes.
2: Disneyland, of course. Be sure to visit Disneyland.
6: From one of the world's most gifted motion picture creators comes Disneyland, whose wondrous portals open to Adventureland, Tomorrowland, Frontierland, and
2: Fantasyland.
1: Now, the honeymoon in Disneyland did not go quite as planned for psychedelic pioneers Hugh and Bonnie Jean.
2: I wanted to go out on Adventure Island and mess with things. And a guy dressed as a, what was he? A Confederate soldier. Soldier came out of the teepee and uh, accosted me, and I got in big trouble. And we got brought before the cheese of Disneyland as to whether we uh, could stay a little longer. Didn't didn't we grovel a little bit?
4: We groveled and they...
2: They, they were, let us stay?
4: They were going to say that they we had to leave.
2: We were getting expelled, but they... they
4: but we were very polite. and we said we're ever so sorry. Yeah. This is our honeymoon, la, la, la. Yeah, yeah. And so they let me go. They had
1: actually arrested me. Wait, what? Minor detail of interest. She was the one
2: that got arrested. I went over the fence. I talked her into it. I said, go on. <laughs> he did.
4: Go ahead,
1: go on. And I did.
4: That's
2: when the guy came Up out of the teepee.
1: <laughs> okay, I didn't get all the details of Jaws' Disneyland arrest, but it's fun trivia, particularly as Jahanara's role at Camp Winner Rainbow was always number one rule enforcer. Remember, I went to Camp Winner Rainbow with all the other kids of the psychedelic pioneers.
4: We didn't get kicked out. No, and, no. And we went to, to sit down somewhere, and we sat down in a drugstore, the, the Disneyland drugstore, And they had a chessboard or a checkers board out there. And then people came along and they thought that Wavy was a person that was hired by Disneyland to entertain them. A checker guru. So they challenged him. And he just sat there all afternoon playing uh, checkers with people.
2: I got really good. Was I in an altered state?
4: We were in very altered state. Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) Yes. I was taking divine intervention to checkers. And looking at the whole thing cosmically, and I could not lose.
4: But you lost once to a kid who was about 13 years old, and it was very oh. exciting to him that he beat the Checkers champion.
2: <laughs> I don't remember So that. I thought
4: that was really worth it, because it really knocked him out.
2: I don't like to lose, but... <laughs>
4: you like losing to the kids, I
2: did, I did, I enjoyed that.
4: Oh, baby great Here comes Wavy Gravy,
6: Wavy Gravy. Here comes Wavy Gravy, Wavy Gravy. Rolling round the bend. Here comes Wavy Gravy,
1: the universal friend. So episode five, we left off with Wavy and Job being evicted for hosting dozens of Merry Prankster house guests. Here's Jahanara.
4: At some point, uh, Kesey, who was escaping the fuzz and uh, left his bus... No, he took the bus and left all of his crew of people with us at our little house. So that was a lot of people that, you know, later ended up staying for years. And so we all went out to the uh, one-bedroom little cottage that we had in the country, and we stayed there. Um, we gave up the house in the city and uh, the pranksters And the place that we were staying was a hog farm. It was a hog farm. And the person who was feeding the hogs up the hill had a stroke. And so the guy that owned the property came to talk to us and said, come live up there instead. That's how we got onto a farm where
1: there were hogs. The hog farm commune is considered by Wikipedia to be the longest running American hippie commune. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines hippie as, quote, Usually a young person who rejects the mores of established society as by dressing unconventionally or favoring communal living and advocates a nonviolent ethic. And a commune is an organization of unrelated people living communally. Today, the hog farm owns collective property in Berkeley and Laytonville, California. I wanted to know more about the group's early days, so I called my friend Dorji Bond, who makes teepees for a living. Dorji, like Sunshine Kesey, was also once my Camp When Rainbow counselor.
3: I went down to Sunland and I um, went to the hog farm and I never left. It was Wavy and Johanna's wedding day. They were uh, all getting married at the Zen temple. I didn't know anything about them. One of the younger people that had been staying at our place in San Francisco had also been staying at the hog farm, and he picked me up at the airport and took me to the wedding, you know, is how I got there, and then he took me from there, and I can remember meeting Johanna's mother, and uh, I was in the kitchen with the moms making these outrageous big buckets of food and serving them up, and then everyone left, and I think some of them intended to come back, but they didn't make it back. Later that day, everyone went on their honeymoon, and everyone else left the hog farm, which really wasn't that big a scene yet. There was about six people living there. <laughs> And suddenly, I was the only person there, and there was all these hungry pigs outside the door, and they had me penned in. Really, I couldn't leave the house. I was there for a few days like that, without power, and I like was trying to read the side of the pump it up gas lantern and figure out how I made light. And so I was just home with these home. It wasn't my home yet. I was in this strange place with no power and no pig food and the pigs got kind of aggressive and I was sort of afraid to go outside and somebody after a couple of days came up the hill with um, the pig food and like basically, you know, fed the pigs and let me get out. They were big pigs and they were like snorting around the door and stuff. It was like sort of wild. (laughs) And when
1: people came back, I just didn't leave. So it's 1966. Countless anti-war protesters around the globe demonstrate against the Vietnam War. Caution, cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. Warnings become required on U.S. cigarette packaging. And the miniskirt is all the rage.
6: This
5: is CBS. Fashion experts were right four years ago when they said skirts were going to go up and stay up for a while. We've been through two cold winters with them now, and women have stuck with their miniskirts.
1: And hippies become a topic in the news.
5: The aggressive determination of hippies to start a new society has made its mark. That Grand Canyon
6: hippie love-in is all washed up. Meanwhile, L.A. County supervisors are worried that such activities as Digger's Free Food Service at Ferndale will, will attract Frisco hippies. That would be, in the words of Supervisor Debs, outrageous. Los Angeles. A poodle turned stool pigeon when his mistress was arrested. Police well, they say they arrested 20-year-old Patricia Lee Ransom and her companion when they spotted them driving a stolen car. Miss Ransom's poodle wore a blue and white sweater, which yielded a partially smoked marijuana cigarette.
1: Here's Mrs. Gravy again.
4: And so all of us, the ex-pranksters that had been gotten abandoned by Keezy, we all went up to this farm of hogs and fed them. And Wavy began to to make interesting things for us to do. Because people kept coming up and looking at us. Straight people, reporters, runaways. You know, just that we hear something weird is going on. And people that were angry at us and paranoid that we were going to hurt them. There were, um, I'm looking for a non-pejorative term for redneck. They were causing there to be articles about how dangerous we might be.
5: A 24-year-old hippie mother who fatally stabbed her two-year-old son with a broken wine bottle has been ruled legally insane at a sanity hearing in Denver. Authorities found Mrs. Carolyn Ann Method at a Denver hippie hangout last November. Her testimony indicated she was a regular user of drugs, including LSD.
4: And then other people were interested in meeting us, and so we started doing events and inviting people to come up on Sundays. Most of this is wavy.
1: The Hog Farm, directed by a natural-born ham, Hugh Romney, starts producing psychedelic theatrical events, which might not sound unusual to a young person today. But in 1966, it was revolutionary.
4: Wavy would put on things, and I would see that people were fed, because I
1: was a girl. It's only six years past the TV dinner conformity of the 1950s.
6: Picture of a turkey dinner about to be served. Yes, out of the refrigerator came frozen
5: main courses. Wholesome,
2: delicious picture of the way to do it. I remember uh, we had an event and it was Severin's birthday. And Paul Foster called him Several Bargain instead of Severin Darden. Several Bargain Day. And. We led Severin up the driveway, sitting on the side of an ass, to take him to a manger. God, it was so funny. And we had a great poster, and it was also we built a theater for Tiny Tim, just grabbing planks and stones and uh, shovels. And I think it was about a hundred people. We created a theater out of nothing and made little benches and what have you. And then Tiny tiptoe through the tulips and all that stuff. It was amazing. You know the grand dame of improvisation Viola Polish. Viola was there and we're eating this enormous turkey. I was gnawing on the leg and suddenly I said to Viola, it's for you. And she immediately grabbed the leg and started a conversation into the turkey leg. We shared the DNA of wonder and making shit up. She was very good at it. I was thrilled and honored to every chance I had to be in her company. The
1: Hog Farm events are populated by the influencers of the day. Cutting-edge artists, writers, actors, musicians, directors, art enthusiasts, and Wavy's improv friends from the committee.
2: And Gary Goodrow, one of the funniest men alive.
1: We talked about Gary Goodrow in episode four. He's a committee member who wrote the 80s blockbuster Honey, I Shrunk the Kids.
2: And I used to adore to exchange wackadoodles with him anywhere on the planet. That we could be together and have at each other, we would do that. Pedro was a genius and one of the people that came up to the ranch. Even Brent came up to the ranch. It was not his style, but he enjoyed it.
1: Remember, John Brent was Wavy's best friend. We unraveled in episode four.
2: And he used to call me farmer. Well, I was Wavy then. Farmer. Who was I? I don't even remember. But a farmer was he. He used to. Prefix because of the ranch. But he he liked every golden moment. Tiny Tim came up, and we were designated to go feed the hogs at 4.30. And Tiny went down with me with uh, buckets of slop, which he did not care for at all, and held at a distance from his actual being. He did not want to be slopped on. But uh, yes, we threw slop, he said, I remember vividly he looked at me and said, What a peculiar situation. That's an exact quote of Tiny Tim. He did not sing to the swine, but I wished he did.
1: I was growing up in the 80s, Wavy's Camp Winter Rainbow was staffed by merry pranksters and hog farmers. So I called the camp art teacher, original merry prankster hog farmer, Laura Foster Corbin, for more details.
0: I was in art school, and the hog farm had been established, and I helped do light shows for them at the Shrine Auditorium. But I was married at that time to Paul Foster, who was definitely a prankster, and was definitely, actually, to let you know, he was like the first person who was asked to go take care of hogs on a hill in Los Angeles, to which he responded, "Do you mind if I bring a few
1: friends?" Paul Foster, Laura's former husband, was an original Mary prankster, hog farmer and math genius who started programming binary code in 1954 and worked for NASA and Apple. Paul Foster died in 2003.
0: Oh, Wavy had some really great, you know he had some really great events. One of them was that everything had to be orange that Sunday. All the food we ate, everything that everybody wore, all this stuff had to be orange. Or we had things where there was like a lookout place that was like a meditation
1: place, too. Always an innovator, Wavy established a meditation chill-out spot in 1966, you guys. They had a bake-off, and I won. So I am the bake-off
0: queen. What are some of the other funny things?
2: Yes, and then there was the pie-eating contest, which was messy. I discovered the best thing to do was just stick your face in the pie and thrash it about and pie- juice and fabric of uh, goop would fly in all directions and you didn't have to take a bite. you just displace it out of the uh, pie tin until there was nothing left. And uh, you could be declared the winner of that. Otherwise you could hurt yourself eating enormous amounts of pie or pudding. Oh yes, we had a pudding eating contest and we had this huge vat of chocolate pudding what happened? This guy dove in the pudding? Yes, I do remember people immersing themselves in huge vats of various substances.
0: Back to Laura Foster Corbin. You know, sometimes people would be coming, and so the place would be kind of a hippie wreck. And then Bonnie Jean would say, Okay, we're going to do a fast five. And fast five means that everybody goes and starts cleaning up at once. And then it's all spick and span. I mean, Wavy's just Wavy was really wonderful. He had great ideas. We built a dome. Dorji made the things for
1: it, and we got all ready for this cross-country trip. Now, before we get to the first hog farm bus trip, a few more stories from the Hog Farm Hog Farm in Sunland. Back to Dorji. What was your first impression of Wavy?
3: Wavy, Wavy, and Tahanara, I think, went out to some mountain somewhere and chanted all night long. They were all quite a lot older than I was, all of them, right? I was like this baby. I was like, you know, 18. And they were all like had been with the Merry Pranksters. They were all old enough to have been beatniks, right? I wasn't old enough to have been a beatnik. I was just, you know, just old enough. I was perfectly placed to become a hippie. <laughs> and oh, so this is where my story comes in. I was thinking about a story that no one else would tell. A story about Wavy and the vacuum cleaner. You
6: know, with an ordinary suction cleaner, you can work and work away and there's still dirt in your carpet. To remove it, Here's the Hoover Junior, which gets out the trodden in grit that other cleaners just can't remove. Here's the secret.
3: We were like really brand new, right? We were just forming ourselves into this group of people. And we were having these parties every couple of weeks called Hog Sunday. And they all had a different theme. And one time Tiny Tim came and it was Tiny Tim Sunday. And another day we had a Hog Farm County Fair. And... There was a pie bake-off and a kissing booth, and, and so we just had these different parties with different moods each time, and lots of interesting people came up there from Hollywood. And it was like, you know, Maynard C. Krebs.
1: Maynard C. Krebs is a fictional beatnik character in the TV show The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, played by actor Bob Denver, who became famous as Gilligan in Gilligan's Island. So Gilligan is running around the hog farm.
3: Severin Darden, and he was a wild character. He was the guy that when he was blowing out the candles on his birthday cake, the blackout happened in New York City. So when he showed up at the hog farm, we put him on a donkey and all put palm fronds in front of him and stuff. You know, we were just having fun. So, but once in a while, we'd say, okay, who's, we only had two cars. Who's going to be the dance master today? And that was the person that would go down the hill and do all the, drive everybody else to their appointments of whatever they needed to do, get to work, grocery shopping, pick up a part to something else or whatever needed to happen for the day. And sometimes we'd get kind of loud trying to figure out when that would happen. And it would start to verge on an argument. Wavy would turn on this very loud vacuum cleaner and he would come into the room with side effects out of his mouth, going, meow, meow, meow. And, you know, you couldn't hear yourself think, much less remember what you were going to say. So it, like, served its purpose perfectly, you know, because it would just break up the tension, and we'd start over when he turned it off. It was a really, it was just my fun wavy story. Wavy gravy,
6: and here comes wavy gravy.
3: Yes, 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 and sometimes even
6: maybe wavy. Here comes Wavy Gravy, the universal friend. A wandering band of members of a so-called religious cult with a leader they call Jesus has had three of its followers arrested in the investigation of the murder of Sharon Tate and six others. They called themselves The Family. The Family's leader, Charles Manson, is jailed here. It is expected that he will be charged in the Tate murders.
1: So around this time, sociopath Charles Manson formed his commune, which in fact became a cult. Now, what's the difference between a cult and a commune? Cults are religious, deifying the leader, and members are usually asked to give up all semblance of their individuality, including possessions and ties to family and friends not in the cult. While a commune is a non-religiously tied group of people living together, sharing domesticities like meals, vehicles, houses, partners, child-rearing, and other responsibilities— Tell me about your encounter with Charles Manson.
2: Well, let me do it quickly while Ja has gone.
1: Charles Manson's cult, the Manson family, committed nine horrific murders in 1969. But before they devolved into violence that shocked the world, they visited the hog farm commune in Sunland.
2: He uh, was really rude. And not only that, he wanted to uh, trade some things for Jha. <laughs> and uh, I kicked him out of the hog farm i said you go and uh he did and i'm glad he did not take offense and jock kept looking over her shoulder all the time because he she thought he was gonna come and get me but uh so far so good and he's dead now i think so <laughs>
1: woo! did he roll up to the ranch with his bus
2: yes a black bus He came up and some of the uh, uh, hog farmers were enjoying his jail patois and the language of, you know, those denizens that were locked away and his whole ambience of that. But then when he wanted to snatch Ja out of the pigeon goop, that's when I reacted. And it was just uh, several members of the family were disappointed because they thought that he was really cool. And he did have that jail ambiance that was absolutely interesting. But I just put my feet down and suggested that he get out of here. And for some reason or other, he he took that as a... He saw he could not capture Mrs. Gravy or any of our machines. And his saying on was fruitless. There was no fruit. He uh, evacuated, thank heavens, because if push came to shove, I could be strangled or shot or any of those kind of things. And uh, Jada never likes me to talk about it because she feels that they will come back in the night and get us. So I don't talk about uh, Charlie. So don't tell Jada.
1: Turns out I have a superpower of getting people to share their stories with me. Here's Jada on Charles Manson. You were in Los Angeles at the time when Manson was also there. He was also a hippie. Um, Did you ever encounter him and his crew of people?
4: Yes, and I I, I don't talk about it because I'm scared of him. He's dead, and I'm still scared of him because there was, I don't know, things have been written about it, so it's not a secret. But, I don't know, I just feel like it was such bad energy he was invited somebody who we knew invited him and his several women that lived in the bus with him up to the hog farm and his bus was black and I, we our crew who had all gotten together a couple of jobs at the local gas station in sunland tahunga put their money together and bought a bus and brought it up before we had painted it and so we had our white bus up there and and he had his black bus up there and um, I won't give any details. It didn't feel good, and he was asked to leave, which he didn't care for, and I've been afraid of him ever since, and I still am.
1: He's dead, but his people who adore him are not. Manson died in prison in 2017
6: funny movie the other night. It is the gassiest, grooviest, swinginest, trippiest movie you've ever seen. It's Otto Preminger's psychedelic trip, The Living End. Get him high. Can you imagine Bacho Marx being
2: God? We actually made a film called Skidoo. Skidoo, Skidoo, the only thing that matters
4: is with who you do. Skidoo. Between the one and three, there is a two.
6: I think this movie is going to turn on the country.
3: Jackie Gleason was Tony Banks, Carol Channing Flo, Frankie Avalon, Angie. Fred Clark,
4: a tower guard, John Philip, the stash, Peter Locker, the senator. Burgess Meredith Award. Far out. Mickey Rooney, Blue
6: Chips Packard. It's a gas. Groucho Marx played God in the Adult premage
5: of films. do doo 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 Oh, and please, keep off the grass.
1: That's trailer tidbits from Skadoo, which features an absurd mashup of mainstream celebrities of the time like Carol Channing, Mickey Rooney, and Frankie Avalon cavorting with Wavy's band of kooky hippies. Remember, it's 1968. Psychedelia and hippies were brand new, as were Pringles chips, the beanbag chair, and Ziploc bags.
2: Will Groucho Marx play God?
1: In case you didn't grow up like me, watching the Marx Brothers movies every weekend, Groucho Marx, born in 1890, died in 1977, was an American comedian, actor, writer, and leader of the Marx Brothers, a slapstick comedy group made up of Groucho and his actual brothers, Harpo, Chico, and Zeppo. Groucho's the one with a cigar, waggly eyebrows, grease-paint mustache, and signature funny chicken walk.
2: And Carol Channing was in it, and like that. And we got into it through John Philip Law, Tom Law's brother, who was a big movie star in the movie, who was also the blind angel in Barbarella. And John and I went to uh, acting school together at Boston University and then the Neighborhood Playhouse.
1: We mentioned John and Tom Law briefly in the last episode. As Wavy said, John Philip Law is most famous for playing the blind angel in Barbarella with Jane Fonda. John's brother Tom Law was part of the Hog Farm, and later the Chief of Pleas at Woodstock. Coming up in episode 7.
2: We became extras on this movie Skidoo, and the director was Otto Preminger.
1: Otto Preminger, 1905 to 1987, was an Austro-German-Jewish film director born in today's Ukraine and luckily summoned to Hollywood in 1935, saving him from probable World War II extermination. Otto Preminger was nominated twice for Academy Awards and pushed censorship boundaries by making films about taboo subjects like drugs, rape, and homosexuality.
2: And uh, Otto adored us. Oh my god, we used to dine gloriously over multitudes of uh, spreads during production. Oh my God, it was, it was the best thing of all. And it took place in this prison and everybody was high on acid including Otto Preminger who uh, inadvertently <laughs> was actually verbally dosed. We are climbing Harpo's Ladder. We are climbing Harpo's Ladder. Just an opera hat full of yellow chickens. He was a soldier of the clowns.
3: Did you ever meet Harpo?
2: Skidoo was Harpo and Skidoo also? I don't think so, it was just Groucho. And it was very good for us because we got paid a, a lot of money for just being extras. In this film, and that's how we got our buses on the road, is by doing this film for Otto. It's
1: 1968. The Vietnam War is raging with a Tet Offensive and My Lai Massacre. Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy Jr. are both assassinated. Pulsars are discovered, and Hugh Romney and his friends have coalesced into a commune named after their first group address. Using their money from Skidoo the movie, the hog farm takes to the road in their bus, the Roadhog.
2: It evolved. I mean, it got, you know, first it was just a bunch of sloppy paint. And then some good painters took it and tuned it. So it from sloppy paint became a mobile art and extremely glorious as it buzzed along through time and space.
1: They go on the road with a traveling light and music show.
2: We set out across America and went from one college. Colleges would uh, call to have us hold forth the Hog Farming Friends, in open celebration. And we would drive up to the college and fall asleep because it was night usually, and we'd drive up with the buses.
1: College shows, the bread and butter of the touring comedian. Remember, Wavy was then a famous stand up comedian. Flashback.
2: So when I began to travel with my stand up road show called Hugh Romney and his electric toothpick. I had a bag full of weird pictures and another bag with hundreds and hundreds of little comic book captions that were cut out. I think there was probably cocaine involved and a lot of busy women with scissors.
1: (laughs) So making the leap to tour with a light music and performance show in a hippie bus packed with artsy oddballs wasn't that far a stretch. Here's Laura Foster Corbin with more details.
0: I know for sure. We left in the summer of 68 and before that we had been in this movie scooby-doo or something like that skidoo skidoo yeah there you go and we also did light shows at the shrine auditorium which were really great We stopped at several colleges. We spent a good part of the summer in northern New Mexico. There was a a gathering on the summer solstice that was probably like the first of something that became a rainbow
1: gathering. Rainbow gatherings are temporary congregations of loosely connected people living communally for a few weeks.
0: Anyway, it was a thousand people, and Paul Foster and I were married by Hugh Romney on that very day. We exchanged ceremonial pork chops. We were given quite a number of uh, exciting psychedelics and everybody sang a song around us. Yeah, it was our wedding and there was a thousand people and I knew 40 of them, but it was fun. Why not?
2: Then some wise asses start beating on the side of the bus in the morning. When is this thing going to start? And we'd say, hey, grab a wrench. And we would set out these pipes and erect these uh, giant geodesic domes which we would cover partly with uh, plastic or fabric to project on in the evenings when uh, it was dark and it was glorious in the dark also we had an interaction where we would have 500 people work on a, a giant painting on one side of the scene and on another side of the scene we would have a tiddlywinks contest that was quite a deal. Enter the royal champions, the goons in the Guildhall at Cambridge. Have they got
6: a clue about tiddlywinks? Well, first a message from Prince Philip, read by John Snag. At one time, I had hoped to join my champions, but unfortunately, whilst practicing secretly, I pulled an important muscle in the second or tiddly joint of my winking finger.
2: We had a major tiddlywinks contest, I forget if It, it may have been in New Mexico. And the winner got to go with us. We only had one slot left. There was only room for one to go down to, uh, yeah, Palm Springs. So the Tiddlywinks champion actually was Oxygen, who really wanted to go, and she beat all these guys from Yale. They were all figuring out the dynamics of the Tiddly. They were engineers figuring out the arc of the Tiddly and they just got into deep tiddly stuff. I almost said a naughty word. And this was kind of beautiful. The finals were on a a giant Indian rug with the rainbow as the cheat line. And then the tiddly would go into and make this wonderful sound.
1: This was how to join the hog farm to get on the bus. Win the Tiddlywinks contest. Back to Laura Foster Corbin. We
0: did a show, some shows in Ann Arbor, and then we also ended up in New York City. And we did a show at NYU, and Wavy had this brainwave that we were going to have the cosmic pudding. I'm sure these were from his talks with Einstein and his own whatever imaginings that we were all like in a pudding together. We're connected. The significance of a giant chocolate pudding with marshmallows and M&Ms in it, that was us. The essence of us. So NYU had just built this beautiful new auditorium. They invited us to come and have a show there. We got garnered some musicians of some kind. And we had this like a cauldron or a bathtub, it was, it was huge. It was chocolate pudding, and it spilled on the beautiful new laminate floor, and we were never asked back again.
1: Along with pudding, Wavy was also into Jell-O.
2: There's the great Jell-O story. We came to uh, Yellow Springs, Ohio, and this guy had the turret to a B-29 lashed to the roof of his bus. And it resembled a giant purveyor of uh, dessert. And so we removed it from the roof, laid it out center stage, and proceeded to fill it with cherry jello, which was fine and dandy and shimmered. In the morning sun, which was our undoing, because it uh, it quivered until it uh, unquivered and began to turn into soup. And so it became necessary for us to secure several slabs of dry ice, causing the jello to re-jello. We were very successful. Did you eat it? Oh what yes. Everybody was eating it, and then uh, the students were jumping in it and dancing in it, and Jello was flying all over the place. And that was the uh, and the great Jello dance. Oh, we had the pig with us, also.
1: Traveling with a road hog in the hog farm was an actual pig named pigasus
2: dear pigasus it was kind of difficult to maneuver with the pig scooting up and down the aisle of the bus but that's how it was ah she had her own truck and it was interesting to get her back in the truck what we did was put a uh, a donut on a string on a pole And especially a glazed donut. She would do anything to get her mouth around a glazed donut. And then we could get her back in her vehicle and
1: proceed to proceed. Pegasus was no ordinary pig. She was the 1968 Yippee candidate for president, Pegasus the Immortal.
2: The big deal was we ran a pig for president.
6: The Yippies decided to enter their own candidate in the presidential sweepstakes.
2: I was a Yippie.
1: Lady said Yippie, not hippie, Yippie. But who and what are Yippies?
5: Yippie was more of a mindset, you know, it was an outlook. It was a way of turning your thoughts upside down. There's a little bit of Yippie in everybody.
1: That's my friend, Adrian Marin, a documentary filmmaker and archivist for Abby Hoffman, founder of the Yippies, who joined forces with the hog farm in 1968, using humor as a weapon to challenge the very core of the American political system, the presidency.
2: The Yippies said they're running a pig for president. I said, hey, we got the pig. And we do, because her name is Piggisus. And she was the first... Female black and white candidate for that high office. I was a yippie, as was
5: Abby
1: Hoffman. Who is Abby Hoffman?
5: A quote from Abby You measure democracy by the freedom it gives its dissidents, not the freedom it gives its assimilated conformists.
1: Before we hear more about Pegasus, let's find out more about Abby Hoffman and the Yippies. Here's Abby's archivist, Adrian, again.
5: I met Abby towards the end of his life. And after his death, I became even more deeply embedded with his world. He and his uh, widow are like my godparents.
1: Who is Abby Hoffman?
5: Norman Mailer described Abby as having a charisma born of an immaculate conception between Groucho Marx and Fidel Castro. Uh, his greatest gifts were expressed culturally, because as Abby would say, trying to make political change without culture is like trying to be a fish swimming without water. He really matters, he was was a man involved in ways many people like to imagine humanity heading. And he was also uh, very much like a reincarnation of a bona fide, genuine American revolutionary. He was raised at the same time as Wavy. Interestingly, they were born in the same year and raised during what was a really dichotomous time after World War II uh, Abbey in New England, where as a boy with his father, he attended countless town meetings. That helped instill in Abbey an appreciation for democracy. But democracy as a verb, as he always used to say, it's not a place you hang your hat, it's something you do. He he led a very uh, intense, intense life. And the fact that he took his own life, it's almost too devastating for somebody to to conceive of because here was a guy who inspired. But after participating in what organizers called the 1964 Freedom Summer of Actions in Support of Civil Rights, Abby moved to New York, where beatniks, immigrants, and the minorities tread. And at that time, just like uh, San Francisco, it was burgeoning with kids following acid dreams. And it was here that he began managing a storefront called the Free Store, which was greatly inspired by the Diggers. The San
1: Francisco Diggers were a group of activists, 1966 to 68, inspired by the British dissidents of the 1600s, also called the Diggers, who were into agrarian socialism. Also known as farming on common land. Back to Adrian on Abby and the Yippies. And he's the founder of the Yippies?
5: Yeah. So in 1967, Abby, an activist from Berkeley named Jerry Rubin, Nancy Kershaw, and Paul Krasner founded the Yippies.
2: My closest Yippie buddy was Paul Krasner.
1: Wavy's friend Paul Krasner was a writer, journalist, and comedian who founded the freethought magazine The Realist. Krasner was also a merry prankster, protege of Lenny Bruce, and founding member of the Yippies. We'll talk more about Krasner later. He died in 2019.
2: We went back at least a half a century.
1: Did you meet him at the Gaslight
2: years? Absolutely. And he was the Zen bastard. We debated lots of things.
1: Back to Abby Hoffman's archivist, Adrian, and the founding of the Yippies.
5: Which they famously said had no leaders, no members, and no organization. What they did have was moxie and an almost unbelievable combination of courage, creativity, and humor, which with the exaltation Yippie was put into the service of opening people's minds. So a lot of people consider themselves yippie. A lot of people are yippies and don't even know it.
1: I feel like I'm a yippie.
5: You absolutely motherfucking are. It's, a, it's an exaltation. It's, it's whatever gets the endorphins pumping. Yippie was uh, was a concept born out of acid dreams and purple haze.
1: Tell me about Abby Hoffman and your friendship with him. Where'd you meet him?
2: Oh, in the cement apple, way back in New York. And we were close enough that when we brought the pig into New York, we could keep it in Abby's bathroom. Because, you know, it's the president, after all. (laughs) And uh, he was, like, way cool. I I enjoyed his uh, droll humor with a Boston accent. And we always used to challenge each other as to who could get arrested more. And he beat me into the dust, actually. He was always getting arrested for something. But a, a very nice boy, and it married to a woman named Anita, who was quite nice, also. And I've been arrested with her, too.
1: Here's Abby Hoffman.
3: That's essentially what we're going to do is throw a lot of banana peels around Chicago and have the machine stumble. And when it stumbles and it gets into a policy of overkill, and it starts to devour itself. So the cops are going to turn on themselves? Well, they'll at least, how do you get be fighting. They'll be fighting other people in power. You see, in Grand Central Station, they weren't just clubbing us long hairs. you see. They started to take on commuters, you know, and people coming home from the opera. And mayor's officials who were wandering around, and FBI agents who were there in secret disguised as hippies they're all getting clubbed just like
5: us back to abby's archivist adrian abby realized the greatest impact was when you put your arm around somebody not when you try to put your hand in their wall what what abby was was someone very gifted at taking chances and he and others were also rediscovering and redefining what politics were exploitive and racist and what they could be more just so uh, as an activist and an organizer abby took chances that had really severe consequences He was arrested 67 times. He had his nose broken during encounters with police, mainly while in custody, 13 times. He spent seven years underground as a fugitive from the law, but he combined art and politics like nobody else. And so the Yippies became famous for uh, all sorts of uh, wonderfully crazy and creative actions. Uh, They levitated the Pentagon for God's sake. So in October, 1967, the Vietnam War was fully raging. Uh, Abby and others were so frustrated. A lot of activists were uh, deciding that the best course of action was no longer to register voters, but to build and plant bombs. Uh, Abby was someone who always tried to look at things in a way that wasn't about destruction, but was about construction, construction of the mind, and most importantly, uh construction of the imagination and so in october 1967 abby organized an incredible demonstration outside the pentagon and the idea was they were going to levitate the pentagon and exercise the demonic spirits within and uh if you were there you saw it it went up about three feet and then of course they ran a pig for president many are called but few are chosen let's talk about pegasus excuse me pegasus the immortal Abby's role was chasing the pig around a lot and making sure it didn't spray shit on too many people. You know, he only wrote about the fact that Pigasus ran and would have been uh, a, a much better leader. Than than the one that got elected.
1: Why did you decide to become a candidate?
6: In response to threats on the candidate's life, Secret Service protection was provided by members of veterans and reservists to end the war in Vietnam. The opaque promises range from eternal life to free pay toilets.
1: That's news audio about Pegasus in 1968. The video shows hordes of long-haired youth joyfully wrangling an enormous pig, marching, singing, and campaigning for Pegasus.
2: Pegasus was really quite wonderful. Uh, She was the first female black and white candidate for that high office.
1: Wavy loves this line, as do I. Back to Abby Hoffman's archivist, Adrian.
5: As Wavy would say, Abby had grit, you know, real, true, motherfucking grit. And what's so inspiring about Abby and what's so important about Abby and Wavy as saints of misbehaving, I think is this. Like Mel Brooks, they know that humor can bring religious persecutors, dictators, and tyrants to their knees faster than any weapon. And and Wavy and and Abby were really, uh, you know, at the tip of the spear of that in the 1960s.
1: How did you become a political activist?
2: Uh, just uh, one breath at a time. <laughs> you know, I try to have fun with whatever's going on, and it just happened to be uh, politics, which I called a pile of tickles.
1: Do you remember the first time you were an activist? The first protest you went to, or the first time you activated?
2: No, but I, how does it uh, come to my brain is through uh, the yippies.
1: So I didn't know Abby Hoffman killed himself.
5: Yeah, he did. And in 89, he killed himself with an overdose of barbiturates. I mean, here's Abby, one of the most famous people in America. He was famous for not for making money. And when you look out there at celebrity, particularly in America, it's very very hard to find anyone who's famous for anything other than making money. There's very few people who are famous for trying to make this world a better place.
2: Wouldn't it be neat? If the people that you meet Had shoes upon their feet And something to eat And wouldn't it be fine now If all humankind had shelter Basic human needs Basic human deeds Doing what comes naturally Actually, the hog farm was staying in this old abandoned ranch in Pennsylvania. And we were able to, you know, have 80 people and 9 buses and all that stuff there. And then for uh, an event, I remember it was Christmas. And this was for the Yule Hog. And we made a geodesic manger and dressed the pig up as Insanity Claus. And she ate her beard. I remember that much. I could scratch her on the tummy and she would roll around on the ground and be very happy. Somehow, why did we take her into uh, Abby Hoffman's bathroom?
0: Back to Laura Foster Corbin. So we're in this bus and we have a pig in it and new york city and then we all put on trench coats so no one would notice us then we all had a ramp at the back of the thing and we had like a row of people in their trench coats leading up to the stairs to this like who knows six-story walk up in new york city and we did smuggle the pig into an apartment in new york city
1: that was abby hoffman's apartment
0: Yes, there you go.
2: We went to Washington, D.C. with the pig during that juncture. We would debate other politicians against the pig, who was the first female black and white candidate for that high office. She was quite forceful, and we made egg creams in Washington, D.C., handing them out the window of the bus, which was the impossible ask. And we had amazing egg creams. Do you know how to do it?
4: Foxy's You Bet!
2: Foxy's You Bet is key! Without Foxy's You Bet, you have a mediocre egg cream. With Foxy's You Bet, you have the kind. They just lined up outside of the bus to get one. And we had Dixie Cups. We made perfect egg creams.
1: So, Wavy has left behind his Hollywood career, and simultaneous to the evolution of the Hog Farm Commune, his non violent brand of comedic protest grows. He's essentially creating the ethos of the American hippie. One more story from Dorji that really illustrates this. One of my very favorite stories was
3: one of the first things I knew about Wavy. The pranksters were at the Newark Riots.
1: The Newark Riots of 1967 were sparked by the beating of an unarmed black cab driver by police. The civil unrest that followed resulted in 26 deaths and hundreds of injuries.
3: Paul Foster broke up this fight that was about ready to happen where people were armed with weapons and everything.
1: Remember, Paul Foster is Laura Foster Corbin's ex, who was also a computer programmer for NASA and Mary Prankster.
3: Just by being Paul Foster on ice skates in the street... You know, he used to wear ice skates as his daily shoes and this top hat with wings on it. And he starts reeling around this fight that's taking place, asking the people that are getting ready to, like, kill each other with these knives, want a piece of gum? Have a piece of gum. He just made them look at how ridiculous it was that they were loading all of this life and death shit into that particular moment, which, which you could just have a piece of gum. There was some expertise in making the moment that was full of tension break. And I think Wavy grabbed John Brent at that scene and said, I'm going to auction off this digger in the middle of the Newark riots. And it's like, that could have gone either way, but instead it totally cracked it. And, you know, relief happened. That kind of brilliance, you know, is like kind of incomparable, huh?
1: Back to Adrian.
5: While Wavy is the same vintage as Abby, he took his spirit, his tactics, his incredible acumen and insight, and he really kind of evolved it in this fundamental way, this way that is fundamental to humanity. And he realized something, and it was and is blessed with something that Abby was not. And it breaks my heart to say this, but it's the word community. It has sustained him, and he has sustained it.
2: I came back from the hospital in my body cast, they put me in the pen with Pigasus and Pigasus just missed making me a eunuch, left his rear footprint embedded in my plaster cast which went from my nipples to my knees with a little base for me to pee and stuff. <laughs>
1: Tell us about your
2: back and your spinal fusions. Oh, Lord, 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 it's just one thing after another. John Philip Law mailed me to Pennsylvania to this doctor, a woman named Mary Powell, who would operate on me for free. So that's how I had my first laminectomy. And then after that, the second laminectomy is called a spinal fusion, I think. (laughs) But anyhow, they were all in Pennsylvania, and they were all for free. And then Ja came, and they smuggled me out under a sheet on a gurney. And I also had about $9 million in telephone bills, and so uh, they smuggled me out of there and then took me to New Mexico, where we were living in various campgrounds. And then I got the call from Stan Goldstein, would we like to do this music festival? And we said, absolutely. And so we beamed in from Albuquerque. 85 of us and 15 Indians went from Kennedy to White Lake or Bethel, and Woodstock. And the rest is history, as they say.
1: In the next episode, Hugh Romney and the Hog Farm Commune help make Woodstock the most famous music festival in the history of the world. Did you know you were going to be hired as the security? Agent? Hell no!
2: But I was, you know, very friendly with Chip and whatever... I would appear at a club. He would come and set up the lights, and Richard Alderson would set up my sound, and it was like I was some kind of hippie god.
1: You're listening to American Prankster with Wavy Gravy and me, producer Rainbow Valentine. Join us for Episode 7, when Hugh Romney becomes a global symbol for peace, love, and rock and roll. American Prankster is executive produced by Rainbow Valentine Studios, Eric Hober, Larry, and Gerger Brilliant, God and Company, Thessaly Lerner, Rainbow Valentine, Sunshine Keezy, and Wavy Gravy, and sponsored by Levy Informatics at levyinformatics.com. Episode 6, written, edited, produced, scored by Thessaly Lerner, with original music by Will Collins, Hope for a Golden Summer, Noodle McDoodle, and the Ukulele. Mixed and mastered by Brian Slusher, narrated by Rainbow Valentine. Associate producers are Sage Leem, Ryan Reeves, Trina Calderon, Zappo Dickinson, Jundid Sykes, Johanna Romney, Mark Margolis, and Logo by Jordan Paysono. Special thanks to Episode Six guests Adrian Marin, Dorgie Bond, Johanna Romney, Laura Foster, Corbin. Plus, appreciation for all the Do-Rainy, budget donors, our partners at Pantheon Podcasts, and you, our listener, and the incomparable Wavy Gravy. For more info, go to wavygravy.net and rainbowvalentine.com. Raise a glass to the downfall of evil and towards the fun. Mwah. Ah. ah.